Welcome to Going Off Track, ladies and germs and germaphobes. We want to include everyone. Uh, Stephen joined in the studio, not as always, because it's a fluctuating lineup of awesomeness here at Going Off Track. But for the most part, Jonah Bear is always here. I try to be here as much as I can. Yeah. You're kind of jamming. You actually hold the record for everybody. I think I've missed... I missed Matt Pryor. Mm-hmm. Um... A couple more that are upcoming. And a couple more that are upcoming. I don't want to spoil, but yeah, I've missed a handful. But I, yeah. I, tr- I try to be here. We've all done that. Now Brad is always here. But hola. But Brad has a job. I'm always here, <laughs> but I'm not always here, like in you know, the room with you guys. You know, you have like a lunch break at your job, or a cigarette break, or, or whatever your indulgence break is. That's what Brad does with his podcast. So he he actually, when he could be having lunch, he's in here with us, and we're gracious and grateful uh steven i think we all know that the entire reason that i'm here working this job is so that i have a place to do this podcast i just kind of wanted you to admit it so that everyone heard it <laughs> yeah i that, mean it's pretty obvious brad <laughs> yeah you know i mean that's you're in it's cool finally god uh today's guest is mikey weiss now mikey weiss was in the wonderful dance hall crashers which is a band if you never got to see them live Damn, you missed out. They were super tons of fun. Also, welcome to your 20s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, welcome to Warp Tour 95, I think that was. Good heavens. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, they were great. Wow. But Mikey has this fantastic story of what happens when your major label band ends and you don't have a gig anymore. What are you going to do? And he really hooked it up. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. Jonah Bear is here. The Stumptown <laughs> he, Coffee is working. He, he's fully on. He's active. <laughs> I have nothing else to say, Mikey Weiss. <laughs> it's going on so today on the podcast, yeah, we have Mikey Weiss from Dancehall Crashers. Yes. And Mikey's Hookup. Yeah, look at that. Um, There's two different people in this yes. in here right now. Yes. We'll get to all of them. Um, I love when you talk about Dancehall Crashers, to anybody mm-hmm. who, who saw the band play, just the reverence and love of, damn, what a good band. And follow up, when are they reuniting? Come on. Oh, I, yeah. Kicking off with that. Bold move. You like I that? like it. I do like it. I do like it. Into it. So you always think it's a bold move. I just think it's a question. I never know how to... <laughs> you know, a few years back, I got really close to getting everyone. I was going to fly out everyone here to uh, do a 10-year anniversary of Mikey's Hookup show. And I had this whole plan of like shutting down North 6th Street and getting a few other local bands and getting Dance Hall to play. And then, I don't know what happened. I got so busy during that time that I forgot all about the 10 year anniversary. Next thing you know, it was like two years later. I'm like, oh, yeah. And now they don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but they were all in at that time. That's so funny. But I was going through a lot of like store changes and just couldn't deal with it. So think- you have two stores? No, I actually only have one store. One store, okay. And that was what I was going through at the time. Gotcha. It was a life changing experience, which I would recommend to all in a small business to. Never do multiple stores if you don't have to. Mm. Just because of just being logistics? Or? It's, it comes down to, and it's a question that's really hard to answer, like, personally, because you see all these other businesses 
opening up a second store and third store, and you want to be just like them. It's almost like, well, I can do that too. My business is successful. Right. But do you need to? Like, are you trying to win something? Are you trying to, like, whoever makes the most money wins? Or are you just trying to have a good life? And I had three stories at once. And I was losing my mind of just, like, there was so much going on. I had so many employees. I had managers doing stuff that I loved to do. Like, the reason why I opened up the store was to talk tech. And I wasn't allowed to anymore because right. my managers would get mad at me. They're like, let us handle this. You know, you just relax. Well, I'm not going to relax because I want to hang out with you guys too, you know. <laughs> and I made this decision. I was just like, you know what? I'm going back to one store, my favorite store. And I'm going to do other things besides, you know, opening up multiple stores. If one store is paying the rent and making me happy then now I'm going to open up a ping pong shop, which I did right after that. (laughs) (laughs) Something that doesn't make any money, but is really fun. (laughs) No way, I didn't know that. It's on Roblin and Hope. Oh, it's not the one with Susan Sarandon? No, but I did get one of her ex-partners involved in it. (laughs) 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 I'm so glad to hear you say that because it's such the, like, American way is to just keep going and mm-hmm. keep, you know the but whole I think thing it's about, an ego thing too it is but, but it comes all the way down from like corporate structure where you know a corporation is not successful if it makes a lot of money it's only successful if it makes you know if it grows by ten, five or ten percent every year mm-hmm. you know which like to me it doesn't make any sense it sucks you've got these huge corporations that make billions of dollars but like if they don't make more every year they're not successful in the same thing with like, yeah, like you wanted to open a store and like, cause you wanted to work in a store and somebody said, yeah, I mean, the you're ho- so successful, open <laughs> some more stores, make a chain. <laughs> and then you're not a store owner. You're a fucking, you know, you're a president of a company. Yeah. That's all you are. And the whole idea of the store was to open up a, the bedroom. My parents never allowed me to have. That was the idea. <laughs> like a room full of crazy cables and adapters. A ping pong table, my favorite video arcade game, and Which all this is? Street Fighter Two. Right on. Yeah. Um, have you seen it in the store? Um, no. It's a Japanese sit-down big screen. It's amazing, <laughs> and it's so much fun. <laughs> um, but I've had that for thirteen years, ever since I opened up, and and it still works. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and have all like this, my favorite childhood toys, my old skateboard. To, it's a place where if I'm going to work there and hang out there every day, it's got to be a place where I'd love to be. That's awesome. So, so how did, how did, was, were you, did you always want to do this even when you were playing in the band or how did it? <laughs> I had no idea what I was going to do after the band, like stop playing. When did playing. the band officially sort of stop playing? Our last show was i think it was 2004 olympics in salt lake city was our last show with fishbone i believe yeah it was um and everyone was you know getting married having kids and didn't really want to tour anymore and we didn't want to half-ass it you Mm -hmm. know and so we just said all right let's put the guitars down and See what happens. Where were you? Were you living in Brooklyn at the time? At the time, yes. But I knew we were kind of disbanding around 2000. 
is when we officially stopped touring. And uh, I was freaked out because everyone else in the band had college degrees. They had places to go. They had jobs waiting for them. And I had nothing. Absolutely squat. Because I got in the band right after high school and didn't go to college, didn't have time. I never even had like a regular day job, except I worked at Amoeba in Berkeley um, for like a year before I got in the band. And so, yeah, I was in the band for like 10 years or longer. And when we stopped playing, I was like, I have no idea what the hell I'm going to do. And my girlfriend at the time was living in Williamsburg. And I'm like, can I come out and hang out for a couple months? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, sure. And I never left. It's <laughs> basically what happened. It must have been a much different Williamsburg. It was. Well, actually, at the time, my friend uh, Sergi, who plays in you know, Sam I Am. Of course. They needed a bass player. They had like these three tours coming up. And they asked if I wanted to do it. I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? So I learned all their songs. And they're like, our guitar player lives in Williamsburg. So maybe you could meet up with him and practice the songs. And that's Sean, who used to play bass, but now moved to guitar in Sam I Am. So I learned all the songs. And then like a week before the tour, the singer had some problem, I think, with his relationship and canceled everything. And I'm kind of happy about that. Because <laughs> I really, I've never been in a band where I had to I, it would have felt like I'm playing covers. Right. And I was the biggest anti-cover player you could ever meet. Hated playing covers. Why? Unless Sam I Am covers? No. Well, <laughs> because I wasn't involved in like writing the songs right, any part right, of it. I right. would feel like, ugh. you know. Well, you kind of got to be on point, too, with Sam I Am because they're pretty good Yeah. Players. Oh, they're really like, good. It's not like you jump it up on stage with... <laughs> Even Green Day, I guess. Yeah. Know. No, they're great players. Yeah. Knapsack is coming through, I think, in a month or two, mm. which I'm so excited for. Serge's <laughs> other band. Um, so you're here. Mm -hmm. You're not going to a salmon. Were you like, I've always been into electronics. There's a market for this. Was there a market for really, it at that point? There was no market for it. And I was such a, a home theater nut. Like, I just put together this really DIY home theater back in Berkeley. And the only thing I shipped out from Berkeley was my home theater. And my girlfriend had this tiny little apartment on Masbeth right by um, the White Castle. And my home theater took up 80% of her apartment. <laughs> and I'm, I've done that to girlfriends. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty ridiculous. But ever since I was I'm like... I'm not watching Star Wars on that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was, and here we are. <laughs> but I was I was really into putting something together where, with a little amount of money because you don't need a lot of money to make something look great and sound great. And I always laughed at people that spent way too much money on cables. And, right. But ever since I was like five, six years old, I was always hooking up and unplugging my parents' system. And I loved reorganizing cables and hooking it up right and find out why this doesn't work if I plug it into this, but it works if I split this. I was always fascinated by it. The first time, like, my mind got blown when it came to, like, hooking up cables is my parents had one of those descramblers 
that would get all the channels, but only in their bedroom. And my brother was just like, only if we can get all the channels in my bedroom. I'm like, well, maybe if we put a, a splitter and then run a cable underneath the house. So we actually drilled a hole from their bedroom underneath the Did house. Did they know about this? I had no idea. <laughs> and I think I was five or six. And we went to Radio Shack, got a cable splitter, ran a cable into his bedroom, hooked it up. But it, what we found out was horrible, which was the only thing we could watch is what my parents right. were watching. <laughs> and it was awful. <laughs> and it wasn't just a bad it? TV show. It was like really bad porn. Like, oh, man. And we were like, what is this? Well, I've never seen anything like it. The storyline is terrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Production you value. Keep, you keep your shirt on, woman. <laughs> that you is call so that acting. This <laughs> does nothing for me. But yeah. Oh, so I had this idea, which I didn't think was going to really work, but there was nowhere around in the neighborhood where you could buy anything. Cables, um, blank CDs. Uh, a jewel case. And so I went to like Circuit City, JNR, um, I think Staples, and I bought a bunch of random stuff I wouldn't need. And I put a table on Bedford, um, like North 5th and Bedford, and I marked it up like three, four dollars. And people were buying the hell out of it. Really? Yeah. And anything I didn't um, sell, there was a 30-day return policy, so I'd go and return it. Holy shit. <laughs> and it really snowballed really fast because I was finding out what people were looking for. And so I was just keeping up. I wanted to just carry what everyone was asking for. And I was rolling back my cart. I was doing this for like a month. And I was rolling back my cart in front of the mini mall. And I see this Hasidic guy. And I took a chance, and I'm like, by any chance, are you part of this mall? And he's just like, yeah, I'm the owner. I'm like, how can I have my booth in the mall? And he's like, well, maybe we could work something out. He's like, I have these two computers that people pay to get online, but it's always breaking. And if I could have someone that maintains it all the time, maybe I'll give you a space, like a little booth to build and sell your stuff, and you maintain these computers. And I'm like, deal. And all the computers needed was RAM because that's why I was crashing all the time because the internet couldn't handle it. Right. It had like 256 right. megabytes or something. And so there was nothing to maintain. I just put in the RAM and it was fine. <laughs> and so I, I had this carpenter guy build me a little booth and that went on for like eight months. And I just kept on getting more inventory. I started with like $100, $200 worth of inventory and now... It turned into like thousands of dollars in inventory. And then a store came available in the mall. And I'm like, I want to take a store. And he's like, oh, it's, you know, $3,000 a month. Can you handle it? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just learning about business so fast. Yeah, most people <laughs> fail. <laughs> well, to me, like, I came from a long line of like business owners. And when I was... My dad runs his own business. My brother's run his own business. Oh, so you had people you could go to for advice. Yeah, but like they're old school business. Like my grandmother sold goose livers on the streets of Budapest. Like we're all just kind of figured out. Wait a minute. 
Say that again. My grandmother sold goose livers on the streets of Budapest. So she sold you black market organs. You kids today with your CDRs. I sold goose livers. <laughs> but wow. my, my dad always taught us to like never work for anybody. That was the what was your dad's business? A junkyard. A truck junkyard. And this was in California? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In Hayward. Wow. So those are between your place, Mikey's, and a junkyard. Those are my two favorite businesses. <laughs> If I weren't here, that's what I would ask. <laughs> when did you move to, to sort of North 6? Um, in 2005. Okay. And that was scary because I had to rent out an apartment above my store in the mall just to do repairs. So, But did the mall work out? You, pay, you could pay oh, your rent? Oh, yeah, yeah. That worked out great. I, had, I moved three different locations in the mall within two years because it was growing so fast. And then I started doing repairs and that was a whole other thing. Wow. And then in about 2004, all these, you know, a lot of people were asking for Apple products and you couldn't get them anywhere. And I went on Apple's website and it says, if you want to become a reseller, apply here. I'm like, okay, sure. So I applied and they approved me, which blew my mind. (laughs) (laughs) And they came down to the store and checked it out. And they're like, yeah, it's a good vibe, you know. Um, they're like, as long as you they sell... They sent their Apple goons to... Because there's not that many. That's no. so funny. It's... I wonder if it had to do with the neighborhood or something. No. Basically, they saw what else I was selling, and they saw how much I sold of it. And they're like, okay, as long as you could sell... It's like a, a certain amount, a minimum, right. a year. Then we'll renew you the next year. Oh, wow. And I honestly didn't want to sell computers at all. Right. I just wanted to sell their power adapters and their converters. Right. And... The funny thing is, I wasn't pushing computers at all. I didn't sell. I mean, maybe the first year I sold like two computers, but I sold so many power adapters, it like tripled the minimum requirement of what I needed to sell. <laughs> and yeah, and then I started getting authorized repair people, and then I got authorized to be a repair center for Apple. And that's when I moved to North Six because I totally outgrew them all. <laughs> I mean, what do you think, sort of, obviously they're building that crazy Urban Outfitters on that block. Yeah. There's an American Apparel. Um, Acad- I'm there a lot. My yoga studio is so sad Academy's moving. Yeah. Oh, Academy's moving? Oh, yeah. They're moving this week. Really? I didn't they, know that. Because the same owners that, uh, are, that bought Urban Outfitters, they bought three buildings next to each other. And they kicked out Academy unless they wanted to pay like 35000 a month. That's so crazy. I mean, what do you think about, I mean, obviously I'm sure it's good in a way, but also like, do you feel like it's, it's just gotten out of control? I mean, what's your stance having been there for so long? I'm sure it's, I mean, I really don't think it's going to be good for my business because what I've learned over the years is people with money don't spend money. People that don't have money spend the money for some strange reason. That's how it works. And so the more rich people that move into the neighborhood, you know, there's the worst off it's for me. Because it's the, the people that are just, just putting together their home apartment studio that spend the money on all the accessories and adapters to get their studio up and running. People with money, they don't come to those stores at all. They just, they hire their assistant to buy it online. Right. That's interesting. I never thought about that. Hmm. Like, when I had my store in Dumbo is when it really hit me. Like, the difference between people with money. And it was, a, it was pretty annoying, to be totally honest. 
wow. without hurting anyone's feelings in Dumbo. I mean, there's a lot of great people in Dumbo. Mm-hmm. But there's also the people that live upstairs from my store that are demanding someone bring up their ink cartridge to them. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that happened today. First thing this morning, someone called the store and said, I need a MagSafe for my MacBook Air. I'm like, okay. They're like, and deliver it to Northside Piers. And I go, are you talking about the same Northside Piers that's two blocks away from the store? And they're like, yep. I'm like, we don't deliver. And she's like, I'll send my assistant. I'm like, <laughs> so that's where the neighborhood's going. Yes. Uh, that is so crazy. Hopefully she doesn't listen to this podcast. I'm, sh- I'm sure that she doesn't. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> You'd be Our surprised. fan base, because you know, this is free. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So we have a lot of rich people. Listening. Yeah, that is <laughs> yeah. true. That is true. I mean, I, I keep hearing rumors over the years of like an Apple store moving into that area. That, yeah, I love that rumor. Yeah. Um, they are going to move to Brooklyn sometime. They even said it's on the map. But the last place they would ever move is into is Williamsburg. Why is that? Because every place they have a store is next to... Prada, Neiman and Marcus, right. Gucci, right? Like high end areas. This it would be like Apple opening up on St. Mark's. Would never happen. It's not the demographic for them. Even though there's thousands of people going up and down the street, that's not who they want. What are your thoughts, kind of, on Apple now? Sort of where they're going, like post Steve Jobs, with like these new, like maybe budget iPhones coming out next week. Yeah, that's another funny rumor. It's like the budget iPhone. Apple's never made a budget product. Their whole thing is it's expensive for a reason because we want it to work really well. If they did make a budget product, it would be a disaster for the company. So the only budget product I've ever seen them make is the new iPod Touch without the rear camera for $50 less. Right. But that's not even a budget. It's just like, some people don't need that camera, but still want the iPod Touch. I'm looking at we're talking about the second act, which is great because we've had talked to you know bands, mm-hmm. um, bands struggling, bands not struggling, and it's you know what do you do, mm. and you found what you do. Oh right, yes. you know, mm-hmm. and it's and it's really it's fascinating because you know you did it, you toured, you know, I saw Dance Hall at the Warped like '96, mm-hmm. I think. And uh, was floored and uh, followed the band, loved the band. And, you know, you did it. You, right. you, you, you're, you're, of, you're in the majority. Had a <laughs> band, did it for a while, got to a great level. Maybe not the level we could have. Hard to sustain. Got to stop the level, do something else. And a lot of people don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And you found something. Yeah. And I think I was incredibly lucky. Um, and obviously when I first moved here, I didn't like go straight to the street. No. For like the first seven, eight months, I got all the little jobs I always wanted. I worked at a cafe for three weeks. I'm like, got that out of my system. Worked at real life video for maybe two months because I love movies. So I might as well work at a video store. Um, and then my girlfriend at the time was a modern dancer. And she's like, well, you love sound. You want to run sound? Um, for these modern dance shows. And so I started getting hired by modern dancers to run their sound. Um, But, you know, I just, I really do feel lucky that this all fell into place, because I've seen 
oh my God, countless musicians just go into deep, deep depression. I was going to say, because wallowing in self-pity is one of my favorite things that I like <laughs> to do. So, oh, I've seen so much of it. And, and I, I understand why. Like, it was so much easier for me to work at a cafe and video store in New York. If I did that back in Berkeley, actually, I, I wouldn't be able to do that. Like, it would be so difficult to be checking out someone, you know, in a video store and go and someone say, oh, I like your band. You know, why aren't you still playing? Why are you working at a video store? It's like, you just feel crushed, you know? And I, I would recommend to any musician that is in that situation to move (laughs) (laughs) because you're going to feel so much better and just start fresh. Right. Do you still play music? I do. Not as much as I want to, to be honest. Like I was, I started a band with, uh, Sean from Sam I am like within that first year, like a little side project, um, that he wanted to do. And it was called the fakers. And, uh, it's so much fun. We did a small tour with Gibby Haynes for like three weeks, which was really fun. We made this EP, and uh, it's me, Sean, and this other guy, Sean Powell. You know the band The Fuck Emos? I've heard the name. Yeah, heard of them. Um, they're obviously from Austin. <laughs> Don't forget that name. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're like kind of a cult, crazy punk band from Austin. Um, I wouldn't even call them punk, but. But it was just the three of us, just a three-piece um, playing kind of metal rock, just whatever we really wanted. And I had a great time. And we played around here all the time. And then Sean's notorious, uh, the singer, of playing in like six bands at once. So he never really had time to really get the fakers going. And I guess if you own your own business, you can give yourself time off to go right. tour. But that was, the, to be honest, and I apologize to all my dance hall bandmates, but one of the funnest tours I've ever had was with the Fakers. <laughs> because I never knew what it was like to do a, a really gritty, dirty tour. Like, dance halls started their first tour with brand new rental vans, nice places to stay. We were not, you know reaching out to fans if we could right. sleep on their floor, the <laughs> you know. Um, we weren't, like, begging for a slice of pizza at the club. Right. Like, we got... Our first tour was a huge success, Like, and we didn't know what was going to happen. And we were ready to just lose money, and it really worked out. But the Fakers tour was amazing, because I bought a van on eBay for 800 bucks. A really cool, like... <laughs> 84 Ford Club Wagon. Whoa. And you know how it always says, like, grandfather-owned? This was really grandfather-owned. Nice. And built a loft, and we really just slept on people's floors and made $100 a show. You did it You did it in reverse. You did your yeah. last tour. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. how everybody else does their first one. Yeah. Because there were a lot of incarnations of dance hall. Right. And then... Was was Lockjaw the first major label? That was the first major label, okay. yeah. Because mm-hmm. I remember that, and that was to this day one of the best album covers. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. And I lived living in California at the time, mm-hmm. and you'd always see it. It was like the perennial up on Tower Records. Yeah, they MCA really pushed that really well. They did a great job. Um, but that whole 
situation was very random how we got signed though because at the time we were looking at, to get you know put out a record and we were looking at a bunch of other random labels pathetic we did a we did a showcase in in LA in Hollywood at the House of Blues to get a bunch of labels there to see who wants to put us out. And we were really excited about doing this show and we get there and because it's House of Blues, anything could happen. And something did happen, which was the manager's like, I don't know if you mind, but Prince wants to play a show tonight. So do you mind going on like right before him when you'll be like opening up for Prince? And we're like, oh, that sounds awesome. Sure. Why not? And within hours, like, all of Hollywood knows now Prince is going to play the House of Blues. So it's packed with just who's who and schmo schmo. And the last thing they cared about was Dancehall Crashers. And so we were playing to backs. And we were playing our guts out to just people just talking about what they were doing that night after Prince, you know. And it was kind of a disaster, but Prince was amazing. Like, he was phenomenal. <laughs> like, he, he just did nothing but, like, blues covers. Mm-hmm. And he played for hours. And uh, so after that, I think we got Metal Blade made an offer. Well, they had a lot of success with the Goo Goo Dolls. Right. <laughs> and we're like, nah, I don't sure. know if that's going to work. Cargo, we were, we were weeks away from signing with Cargo. And then we did this weird show in Sproul Plaza in Berkeley. I don't know if you guys know what Sproul Plaza is. No. It's right on the the university, uh, UC Berkeley's like hangout area where everyone's having lunch. They're quad. And so it was this outside show. It was like 45 degrees. I remember my fingers were numb. And it was a really bad show, to be honest, because we barely could play our instruments. It was, it was really cold out. And for Berkeley, 45 degrees is cold. (laughs) And at the end of the show, these guys approached us, these two guys going, hey, we're starting a label. And I was wondering if you might be interested. And the two guys was, one was Jeff Salzman, and the other guy was Elliot Kahn. You know those guys? Salzman. Mm -hmm. And they were the managers of Green Day at the time. And because of Green Day's success, they wanted to start their own record label. And they're like, and we want you to be the first signing, and we're teaming up with MCA. And just out of nowhere, like, we're weeks from signing with Cargo, and we're like, oh, let's think about this. This might be a good option. So, wow. so random. That's funny. Yeah. Wow. Signed off the cold show. <laughs> the <laughs> Numb Fingers show. Did you guys tour with Green Day a lot? No, we never toured with Green Day, actually. You guys were one of those bands that, that fell, like... It made sense that it was like an incarnation of from you know from the Operation Ivy dudes, you mm-hmm. know, like because that to me is where ska, like the 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 final evolution uh, evolution of what ska is to like punk ska, you know, mm-hmm. with horns, maybe not, you know, and and working out that way, because dancehall never fell into that. I don't know. I just never found you guys as like a ska band, right? You know, um, and we didn't either. To be like. When we first, obviously the first record on Moon Records, a total ska record. 
I wasn't on that record. I got in after that. Um, like, and to be honest, there's some great songs on there, but we changed them after we decided not to use horns. And we you know the guitar players started using distortion and doing more guitar solos to cover the horns uh, being missing. And I like that version better personally. But when we first toured, I get in, I got into the band right when they decided they're going to do their first tour, and um, the bass player wanted to become the original bass player at that time because it went through like three other bass players. Uh, wanted to pursue stand up comedy, and uh, I was um, the drummer, like best friend from high school. We were in a band together all through high school, and he's like, "Hey, do you want to try out?" And I'm like, sure, but I really don't know ska music. I'm like, I know how to play with you really well because we've been pl- ever since I picked up my bass, I've been playing with you. And he's like, that's all you got to do, just hit the root notes. And I'm like, you're on. <laughs> and I went to this tryout, and I was just hitting the root notes, not a single walking bass line, just watching Gavin's kick drum foot, and I was just in the pocket the whole time. You couldn't play any more simple than what I did. And the other guys after me trying out were like Getty Lee, just trying to show off, going, look what I could do. Slap, slap. (laughs) And I was just like, these guys are blowing me away. Uh, Like, what was the point of me trying out? I would have fucking hired you. And after the next next day, Gavin calls me and he was just like, "Uh, they really want you in the band. I'm like, you got to be shitting me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, dude. Yeah. I've auditioned so many bass players and drummers. <laughs> I would have fucking totally hired you. <laughs> Did you ever see that really ridiculous movie? Um, not Eddie and the Cruisers, but Eddie and the Cruisers 2. Mm. <laughs> I've always wanted to. <laughs> I'm, you don't need to, and I'm going to save you two hours of your life. But there's a moment that I remember watching that movie. Like I think it was like I never got had, like the first time I had cable, you know, on my own, it was on. I'm like, oh, watch this. And, uh, there's a moment where he, you know, in the first movie, he disappears, but this is where he comes back and he starts a band and he, it's in the 80s and he gets this kid to play guitar and he's like, all right, um, well, here's the song. And he starts playing a song. He's just doing chords. Mm-hmm. He's like, all right, now you go. And the kid goes in this ridiculous, like, abruption style solo <laughs> all over everything. And he goes, all right, um, you just showed me that everything you can play right then. And I just need you to, to do this. Dude, and that's and then I remember being like that kind of sums up music right Mm -hmm. there. This ridiculous, awful sequel just kind of defined everything, right? You know, in that one moment, that's great. And so then all of a sudden you're in the band, and then uh, sign to this label, and off you go. Yeah, Um, Elise put together this tour. Well, here was another kind of backstory of kind of the whole Moon thing as well. Moon claimed we didn't sell that many records on that original release. And, you know, obviously the band at the time was kind of bummed out because they thought they made a great record and um, they ha- we were getting some fan mail because there, there was fan mail back then. Mm. <laughs> um, In 94? I know. My and God. the band pretty much wanted to disband because they were kind of like, well, we tried, we made this record and no one bought the record. So why tour? Because no one's going to come to the shows. But all this fan mail started coming to their P.O. box. Like, tons. And going, come to here, come to this city, come to that city. And they're like, 
supposedly we weren't selling a lot of records. Why are we getting all this fan mail? And so Elise booked this tour, and that's when I got in, and we did this three-week tour to, like, major markets. Sold out pretty much every place we went. People were holding up the records. Signed oh. this record. We're like, <laughs> something is not right. Busted. <laughs> um, and that's when they got off moon. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember that Warp Tour, 96, because I went to the California show, which was not L.A., but it was at a bike track. Mm -hmm. And it was two stages. And that lineup was... Uh, like a a really like almost legendary lineup for Warp because like you guys played Rocket from the Crypt played No oh, Effects right. played and uh, Royal Crown Review played. Wait, which know, which venue was this? Um, I can't. It was like in the middle of a like there was two stages in the middle of a bike track that kind of like in what city? I'm not sure. Oh, okay. And it took me a while to drive there, and I never really paid attention to where <laughs> I was driving. But I was the one with the car, so okay. I always had to fucking drive mm -hmm. um, and cart these drunk morons around. Um, but so many amazing live bands playing there, and then Dancehall comes out and is up there with the best of them. It was such a great, fun live show. And I, to this day, remember, I, I think the only one not bouncing was the drummer. Right. <laughs> like, it's just Pogo City for every song. It was yeah. so much fun. If I tried to do that now, <laughs> I would be in the ER so fast. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, like, I loved headbanging and pogoing on stage. Like, I, it's so hard for me not to headbang and play bass. And it finally caught up to me, actually, last year. Like, I thought, oh, I just have a really flexible neck. And I think years of headbanging on stage, I got a, a bulging disc in the, the vertebrae of, like, the, the neck bobbing. Oh, yeah. like, look at drum. I watch drummers, like, nowadays play them, like, you're not going to be able to walk. Right. You need to sit up straight. <laughs> right. People make fun of Max Weinberg like he says like he's got a pencil up his ass. Like, no, he has to. Yeah. He's, gonna, he's, he's in pain. <laughs> no, I mean, I was, it was so much fun yeah. like, being on stage. Just a fun band. Yeah. And the funny thing about those shows is the smaller the show, the more nerve-wracking it was. So the bigger the show, the, if there was thousands of people out there, it was so calming. If we played a small show of let's say a hundred people at the time i'd be freaked out i would be so nervous my heart was pounding and i have no idea why that is like even though we did those big giant like radio festivals back in the i don't know if they still have them <laughs> but when like radio station would hire like yeah. all the big bands at the you would time do the, you would do like the radio tour like uh, the holiday show in oh, yeah. fresno and that market and it's just like a show. sea of people yeah. and i always thought I would just shit my pants if I ever was on any of those stages. And it was the least nerve-wracking really? out of them so all. so disconnected. You're, yeah. hearing, you're hearing everything, including the drummer, through the monitors. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's like you're not even there. I don't get that with... I watch a lot of you know, Channel Palladia. Like I just have it on 24-7 in my house. And But I look at all these festivals, and there's this stage. And then there's the stage for the cameras. Yeah. And there's about 600 feet. Yeah, the security and then the crowd, mm -hmm. and it's, really weird. Uh, it's I don't I can't imagine wanting to go to any of those shows, right. paying any money to see that. Right, <laughs> just ugh. they're not fun. No, Do you but no, but sorry, back man. to like when you were talking about um, being like really ska. Mm -hmm. 
when we used to tour with ska bands in the beginning. Like the first tour was us, Hepcat, and King Apparatus from Canada. I don't know if you remember King Apparatus. They no. were great. But the crowd at ska shows back then were a little violent. And a really mixed crowd. And always, there's a lot of fights. Especially when we got to like middle of the United States. Like Kansas or St. Louis actually was always bad. Um, and we kind of decided, let's start playing with punk bands. Let's see what happens. And it was so much better. Like less fights and just more fun. Even though ska shows were had so much energy, the crowd was the whole part of like doing that show because they're just dancing their asses off. But you get two different types of skinheads coming to the shows, and it gets bloody. Yeah, like the SOB show we did was with the Toasters and Hepcat, and that was in '95, I think. And they had to stop the show. It was a riot in the street and just blood everywhere on the sidewalk. It was disgusting. So bad. And it was obviously the bouncers having a field day, you know, oh, beating God, everyone yeah. up too. Yeah. It's so crazy to me that a genre that's so into puns would also be so violent. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You would think. Yeah. Are you do you still um do you still go to a lot of shows? Are you still really into music or does the store take up most of your time? You know, I'm really selective of the shows I go to now. I don't just go to a show anymore. I just went to go see the Sword play. Okay. And that was amazing. They did such a great job at the music hall. Um, I'm, I have to admit, I'm really into stoner rock. Yeah? Yeah. And uh, I'll see a stoner rock band in a second. Um, but when it comes to like a big show, I can't stand going to any kind of big concerts it's just no fun um but small little i was at secret project robot last night and saw this cool freaky italian band which was really fun i forgot what they were called but they all look like gummy worms dancing up on stage (laughs) (laughs) how did the idea for the ping pong store happen and how did the the like i feel like the first time i walked into mikey's hookup i was like how do I get around this thing? Oh, I'm yeah. like getting like pelted with balls, trying to find a game. I mean, like, how did that sort of come about? Because I feel like it's not a traditional move. What happened was when I decided to spend $3,000 a month on a store, um, it came down to two stores in the mall. One was half the size. That was, I think, 2000 a month. And the bigger one was 3000 And I was already scared to spend 2000 a month on a store. And I had this small party at the place I was living at. And we had a ping pong table in there. And I got pretty drunk that night. And I told everyone, if I'm going to have a store, it's going to have a ping pong table in it. (laughs) And the next morning, I was still thinking, I'm going to have a ping pong table in my store. If I'm going to spend that money, it better fit a ping pong table. And the first thing in the store, we rolled down the ping pong table from South First and Wythe to the mini mall and put it in the store... And then put all the product around it. <laughs> and so the ping pong table is the heart of the store. You backed up your drunk claim. <laughs> I really did. did. Aren't you like yeah. I didn't say air hockey? Oh, no. Too dangerous. Too loud. And loud. Those pucks fly off. The- oh, yeah. So are you incredible at ping pong? I'm not incredible, are you but I'm, back, like- I'm 
I'm a player. Okay. Yeah. I, I definitely stand back. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, then... There's two... There's really two levels of ping pong. There's the people that are the best at what's called basement pong, like the best of their friends in college or uh, camp or even like... Actually, the firefighters are really good ping pong players because they have tables there and they, that's all they do. It's, um, so I don't want to... <laughs> They're good players, you guys. <laughs> yeah. um, to our firefighter audience, yeah. <laughs> please don't go. Please do not answer a call to Mikey's hookups. Yes, but then there's the the real competitive players that have taken lessons because it's kind of like trying to learn tennis on your own, and then you take a tennis lesson and you realize, wow, I could be that much better. And once you take one real lesson from a professional, your game jumps up ten times. Because you can't play with a real competitive player if you've never played that level. You can't score a point. Like, they'll do spins and top spins and serves that will just make you puke. And so when I had the table in the store, I thought I was going to be the best, you know, in the store. But then these Europeans would come in and be like, oh, you play table tennis? I love table tennis. And they would just school me because ping pong (laughs) is huge in Europe. People actually make a living being a professional ping pong player there. (laughs) And I went online and I went, I researched this place on 100th and Broadway. This um, like 80s gold medalist named Atunda Musa from Nigeria ran this ping pong club. And it was like an old, like, imagine like an old boxing club, dusty, dirty with like the photos of the greats on the wall. And people just hanging out, talking like the good old days of ping pong. That's what it was like. <laughs> and I'm like, I need some lessons. And he's like, come on in. He had like scarification. Like, and he was brutal. Like what he made me do, I was just like drenched, hyperventilating. And I maybe took like eight lessons from him. And then I wasn't afraid to play anyone in the store. <laughs> That's amazing. So. As someone who is a ping pong enthusiast, also owns an electronics store, what what do you think, like, I'm sure a lot of kids just play, like, Wii ping pong now or mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, do you think there's something to actually holding a paddle and, and that that you can't recreate kind of with technology? Oh, yeah, for sure. The hand and eye coordination that you need for ping pong is just ridiculous. Like, in a video game, you can't really feel it. And it's all about, the, like, in ping pong, it's about sound. You're listening more than like looking because when someone serves you could tell if it's going to be a backspin or a fast topspin just from the sound it's hitting and the way someone spins it to anything it's just like tennis too you could hear a slice you can hear a chop interesting I know nothing of sports. <laughs> I know. I never actually never knew that. That's re- that is really cool. All I know about ping pong, I know from Forrest Gump and Balls of Fury. Mm. Yeah, not the greatest movies to watch, but there's a great Japanese movie called Ping Pong, and it's more of a drama, and that's a really good ping pong movie. When you see like like you said, other countries take it, you know, super seriously, oh and here God. it's something you find in a rec center. Yeah. <laughs> but that's how well, kicker is there too. I feel like. I mean, ping pong is a joke in the U.S. I mean. You go to anywhere in Europe or Japan, they're all over the place. There's tables everywhere. These are also places that play Baccarat, too. Yeah. And they, they, they find the joys of backgammon, you know? <laughs> Where we call football a game that okay. doesn't actually move. 
<laughs> well, because a lot of, you know, when girls, like, if I tell someone that doesn't know a lot about table tennis, like, especially like when I first told my girlfriend I'm really into table tennis, she's just like, that's a sport. <laughs> because all they know is you stand there and you go clink, clink, clink. And that's not what the sport is. You have to move so much. Like an hour of playing like real table tennis is like, I think it equals like running five miles is how much like energy you have to put into it. I believe that, yeah. See, now now it's a total turn off to me. (laughs) (laughs) Movement? See, Mm -hmm. I I bat games like darts, stand, throw, Mm. stand, throw, beer, stand, throw. But, but you know, in South Africa, darts is a very <laughs> serious game. Yes, you can they burn have a, up you have to throw great white. Like when you're asking about um, the ping pong shop, when I closed the Dumbo store, I had obviously an extra ping pong table and all these other like things about a store that like furniture, TVs, computers, and I wanted to do something with them. And so I saw a storefront, and I decided I'm going to try to open up. Try was the keyword. A donation based ping pong hangout. So you just donate whatever you want to play. And it's going to be run like an kind of like a dive bar where you put your name up on the tape or the chalkboard and you play the next winner. And that's what happened. What's it called? Pips. Okay. And is it working out? It's been going for three years and it pays the bills. Like, not my bills. But it pays the store bills. <laughs> right. right. Like, it always just covers the rent. Interesting. Right on. Yeah. And we have, like, you know, some people rent it out for birthday parties once in a while. That's cool. I feel like there's so many just, like, restaurants and bars and that stuff. Like, right. it's nice to have something kind of more community-based that isn't, you know, that. I was trying to, yeah, kind of bring back the old-school vibe of it's not about making money just to see if something works like you know like secret project robot like i was there last night and kind of gives out that same vibe you have truly found the secret (laughs) you know like like there's a zen there's a zen like happiness to what you're doing and again like like people trying to find that like without having a um uh well you got to be you got to have another plan you know you got to be able to back that up with something else in case Mm -hmm. that doesn't work out you you had nothing to back it up. <laughs> no, nothing at all. And and backed it up in a fun way that you that you're enjoying and doing. That's the key to it. I mean, I think it's like any someone's a ceramic artist to a painter to a musician. Like, if you really enjoy what you're doing, you're happy doing it. But then, if you start making money doing it, that's when you have to start balancing the fun aspect of it because that's where it gets difficult. But you could never complain if you're just doing it for fun. But if it, so we can go back to my first question. When are you guys reuniting? Oh yeah, uh, maybe next week. No. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But I'll talk to them again. <laughs> maybe for the Mikey's hookup twentieth anniversary. Sure. Yeah, that yeah. would be great. I mean, yeah. I think it's interesting though. I think like when a lot of people open businesses, they are so focused on like because of money, especially such initial investment. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you sort of balance that? I mean, like, I'm sure at some point you have to draw a line. You're like, I can't have, like, 20 video games in the store because I need to have stuff I can sell. Right. I mean, the problem is I keep on adding a bunch of fun stuff in the store constantly. 
Uh-huh. And my inventory manager keeps on getting pissed. And he's just like, Mikey, we don't have any room to put these headphones anymore. I'm like, I know, but we need that original Neil Blender deck right there. <laughs> and he's like, okay, whatever, man. <laughs> is it and, like, do you get it? Is it like the hardware store in the small town? Do you have people that just hang out there? Yeah, there? there's people that come in and just to play ping pong or just to play Street Fighter. Or I have these three guitars in the store that are there just to jam on. Like two guitars and a bass. And every day people are like, how much is this? How much is this bass? How much is this guitar? I'm like, not for sale. Why are they here? Because <laughs> if you want to play on them, they're there. You know? But no, the whole store is based around old school business, which is a dying right. business. And if I if I could write a book about how to make a successful business, it's to go back and w- see what people used to do. And that's what creates the best business. And that's gone now. It's totally done. Like, my, I don't do any online crap. There's not a single online advertisement. There's no email blasts. There's no Facebook. There's no Twitter. But Nothing. I see your ads in the subway. There's ads in the subway. That's been happening for, what, 80 years? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's the best form of advertising. It's crazy how well it works. Like, online advertising is a joke if you don't sell online. But even selling online is a joke, because what's the fun of selling online? All you do is get people buying the wrong thing, or UPS breaks it. Like, the whole store is based on coming in, and we'll walk you through what you really need and tell you what you don't need. That's so interesting to me, that dichotomy of dealing with technology, but also being like, we don't want to go online, we want to go back to this other idea but sell these products. It's really interesting. And, you know, the people I hire, I want to hire people that love geeking out. I want to, if you want to talk shop, my guys are ready to just talk your ear off about, you know, their their latest MIDI controller they just got. But like any of these places you go to, Guitar Center or even the Apple Store, they're all trained to say what they say. They're not allowed to say anything beyond that. They can't say their opinion, you know. They'll get fired if they actually told you their opinion on something. Um, And they're designed, they want to try to sell you as much as they can. And the store, Mikey's, is all about, we'd rather not sell you something. Because you're going to be stoked. If someone comes in going, oh, I need a firewire hub. And we go, why? They're like, well, I ran out of firewire ports. We're like, well, we have it at 60 bucks, but you could just daisy chain firewire. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah. And now I just saved them 60 bucks and they're so happy. But then they come back the next day and buy a bunch of other stuff, you know. I, you know, I, re- I really miss um, Radio Shack. I mm. think like you have the, the model of what it used to be because it was... Right. Before it was a phone store. Um, <laughs> because the stuff in Radio Shack was so fucking cheap anyway. That yeah. They, they couldn't really make money. It's <laughs> kind of like a hardware store. So on That's what Radio Shack used to be. Radio yeah. Shack used to be amazing. Yeah. And the people working there had to know their shit. Right. And yeah, it wasn't about... It was about solving problems. Is what mm-hmm. It was not making money. I mean, obviously the company must have made money somehow, but... but yeah, they're... A- such but a now dying business. It's depressing. It's, dead it's so depressing. It's they such still a have the, the the worst part is that every now and then, like every however long it takes for my memory to fade, 
I'll go back into a Radio Shack thinking, okay, I, I really – I just got to get this one quarter-inch adapter or something. And it's a fucking horror show mm-hmm. because not only did, does nobody there know what they're talking about, but they like – it's just the opposite. They're like, I can pull somebody off the street who would know more right. about what I'm trying to deal with than, than they do. I think it's hilarious because I read just recently that – you know, Radio Shack's doing terrible right now. They're trying to figure out how to save their business. And they just recently opened up a prototype store on the Upper West Side or something. Is it the old Radio Shack? <laughs> it's, they redes- it's like this new look that is going to save the company. And what made me laugh was like their whole thing is selling products that people really think they need. Like they want to carry the new hip, styly gadgets. Because that's what the problem is, they think. is The store they're doesn't... Th- they're not going to compete with the Apple store. And they're like, and... you know, like carrying Beats. <laughs> <laughs> and I almost cried. I'm like, you know, the local bodegas carry Beats. <laughs> and, oh, fuck. But yeah, if they just brought it back to like the hardware store vibe. Yep. Yeah. Because people definitely... I mean, and maybe now more than ever, we need some of that stuff. You know? mm-hmm. Like Crest Hardware. Like... Same vibe, like, I love in stores. Mm -hmm. Like, those people are there to help you. Right. They're not making a commission. Right. And they do Crest Fest, which is so awesome. Oh, yeah. Have you ever been to that? No. Yeah, Brad, you guys did something. Yeah, we sponsor it now. Yeah, and they just have bands. They open the store up in the back, and they have bands play. It's so cool. Yeah, and the tons of art. Mm -hmm. Basically, what you're all saying is, um, when it's cool, (laughs) it's smaller more business-like and when it's larger and more corporate <laughs> it's completely i know it sounds cool. pretty uh, but it's true remember you yelled at me one time because i said something about oh best buy and you were like i will give you money not to go there. <laughs> <laughs> i was like i won't yeah well i I, I recently hired this one girl from my store that really wanted to work there and she wanted to learn everything in the store and i found it i always thought that you can't just learn You'd have you always you already have to. It already has to be a hobby for you to like right. work in my store, because a lot of people come in like, "Well, I'm a fast learner." It's like, well, it, it's kind of hard to learn all the ins and outputs of every mixer there is. Like you have to have been playing with it. And I took this chance, and I hired her, and I gave her two projects to really like how she could learn really fast in the store without actually owning the product. And I said. Go to Best Buy and tell them your father's given you $4,000 to buy a home theater. And tell me what I need. And also tell me, how do I hook it up? And she went there and she came back. She's like, Mikey, that was the biggest nightmare in my life. Why did you make me do that? <laughs> like, they don't even know. <laughs> yeah. They just said, maybe this might work. and But they'd have no idea how yeah, to hook it up. Absolutely. And I said, well, go to Guitar Center and go to the pro audio section and say you want a small uh, recording studio for your apartment and you have $3,000. And she came back and she's like, God. that was even worse. Oh, <laughs> 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 yeah. And I was just like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought that might help. <laughs> <laughs> like, I get, and then I finally said, you know what? Let me just show you <laughs> what they should have said. Yeah. And, but yeah, she picked it up really fast. It was great. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, she's a super techie girl. 
it's nice that to hear that too mm-hmm. because you know, there's not enough techie girls. It's nice to hear all of. So your band is is deciding to end. Uh, no, start. I never a, said no, that. no, 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 no. <laughs> this is a positive thing. Start a radio show. No, because we could now. <laughs> this is the secret. Because there's a lot I of bands that show. you know get to a point where they're not sure what to do, mm-hmm. and we could bring back small business in America uh, from bands that you know have gone and like we're gonna go away because it didn't it didn't have to be your tech stuff could be books could mm-hmm. be all kinds of crazy stuff and it could muffins you could really you could really by not working well within the corporate structure you could take them down on your own I'm you're just welcome america <laughs> <laughs> steven smith for president yes <laughs> no i'd kill somebody well there, there's a lot of that would be awesome job. small businesses in this neighborhood though yeah man it's good yeah to no see. this yeah. is the one place where people kind of st- value that yeah i do find it funny like hearing these comments from customers that come in what a few things that i never understood was they they like to say and they think they're being really nice and cool there is go you know i'd rather shop here and support local business and i always get offended by that it's just like <laughs> why, why are you saying that like yeah. If you need the stuff and we're here, you're going to buy it. Like, why would you go out of your way to, like, Best Buy or B&H or whatever and get the same stuff for the same price? But they, they want to let you know that they want to support local business. Right. It's like, we're supporting you. We're, make saving hours of your day. <laughs> but they want to put it... you feel good about yourself. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I take it back. Um, here, this is a FireWire adapter. That'll be $60. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's got to be some people you want to hose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But I don't have FireWire. Trust it's me. like, oh, you, yeah. live in, you live in the edge? Okay. <laughs> but there, it's just there's, like, I don't know where a lot of these people are from, but maybe they don't have small businesses, like where they grew up you know they had to get in their car and drive five miles especially now yeah dude it's the mollification of america man everybody's got the same strip mall and it's mm-hmm. the same set of stores and you were fighting familiarity well especially know? with electronic stores i mean like i feel like it's not an area like it's not like a coffee shop or something where there's so many independent ones right no yeah i mean i don't know if it'll happen fast enough but i think people are learning i think they're learning that they can't be helped in these big stores it's like the auto and and so if they do go into your place and have an experience of knowledgeable people like i i kind of see it even in in you know in the luddites around me Mm -hmm. they kind of get it you know that you're not going to be yeah i can spend three hours online trying to figure out what adapter i need yeah i can go fucking walk into mikey's right yeah I think they're learning. I don't know. I hope it'll happen fast no, I, enough. No, to over save the years, <laughs> I think we've changed a lot of people from buying online because they do. They save so much time coming in asking what they were researching for, you know. And yeah. we just tell them right there and then, and they're like, "Wow, you just saved me so much time." Like, well, that's what like we're here for. Like, you know, we're we you can do save, nothing else but just research it? this crap. It's, so it's like what money. a good yeah. it's like what a good mechanic is because that's the last like real small business is automotive is, you know, mm-hmm. getting something fixed is that, you know, if you have a good mechanic, they're going to be like, oh, just I'll fix that real, you know, mm-hmm. give me, let me tighten this, you know, give me my labor fee, you know, that's it. Yeah. But there's not a big corporate structure around 
different cars getting fixed, you know, aside from going to the dealer. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. A good mechanic would be like, no, you don't. No, you actually know what you need to shoot this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the whole repair side of the business is, that's the most emotionally draining part of the, the business. It's, you have no idea what we have to go through sometimes. Like, people get so upset if they can't get on Facebook. <laughs> Basically is what it comes down to. And not mess with people's Facebook. It, we don't fix phones for one reason, is because if someone can't use their phone for 10 minutes, they'll freak out and they will kill you. <laughs> and someone's computer, if you tell them that your computer is going to be ready tomorrow, they're like, no, I, I need this in the next couple hours. Yeah. And you tell them it's going to be ready tomorrow. What happens is six hours goes by and they realize their phone does everything that they use their computer for. And you never hear from them. They'll leave their computer there for a week. <laughs> but they'll cry. They'll scream. They'll tell you you're the worst person in the world. They'll say, like, you have no idea how important the stuff on this computer is. Like, it's like, I know. <laughs> It, they freak out and it's or they'll they're really protective of their content they're like don't look at my stuff on my computer it's like do you think we really have time to like <laughs> well do you regret doing the repair end of it because i mean obviously you know opening up a little cool little store and selling stuff to people is fun and works but now you're getting into this where you actually have to deal with psychology a little more oh yeah um I don't regret it. It brings in new people every day. Oh, okay. Um, for business, it's great. Um, but if I had my choice, I would rather not. But I, could, I can't stop it now. Right. I think I would be killed by yeah. so many You have like, addicts. Oh. You have people addicted to you. Yeah. <laughs> That's your new store, Addicted to Mike. <laughs> I think about Mikey's story all the time. Like, what do you mean? What just, just like I'm gonna go to J and R and buy stuff and sell it, and then if I don't sell within 30 days, return it. It's like it's like this perfect business model. It's he he for me defines startup. You know? Yeah. Here's what I think about when I hear that story. Oh, this guy had a really good idea that he like worked hard at and followed through with, and then like I'll have a good idea. I'll be like. Eh, I want to go to bed. <laughs> and then someone else does it. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, so I can't like look at his story without just like making myself feel like a complete failure. But I think it's also sort of inspiring to most people. Mm -hmm. This is really, though, I mean, this is seems to be the ongoing theme with our podcast. That's why we do it is so that we feel worthless. Yeah, yeah no, totally. <laughs> have people on that have accomplished their dreams. Right. And most of them have kind of done the stuff that we've kind of done or, 100%. Or, that, or that we think about trying to do. I like to think, I wonder, does this typify our audience out there? Do you listening hear us doing a podcast I got, and go, I got, wow, I actually these got, guys hate what they've done and I'm listening to what they do? <laughs> I, got, I got an email from someone who's in a band about the podcast uh, who's a really big fan, but he also said... I like how you guys, I can't remember how he worded it, like you deal with your self-help or like your depression, <laughs> like something where I was like, uh, yeah, like, and I was like, oh, I guess we do. I never really thought about it, but yeah, he totally put it in those terms. So I guess, I guess so. Yeah. We work through the pity here. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, therapy is expensive. It so. really, really is. Yeah. I'd like to thank United Healthcare for mine. 
I appreciate it muchly. Uh, thank you, Mikey, for hanging out with us. Uh, if you dig Going Off Track, hit us up on facebook.com slash goingofftrack. You can send us a wonderful message there. We will write you back, especially those who say, hey, it's not working. And then I write back, oh, about two days later when it's obviously been working and I didn't help you at all. I apologize. And this is something not a lot of people know, but me and Stephen personally check our Twitter replies. Yes. I mean, we get at least a couple a week, and we check all of them. <laughs> Every single one. So it's not one. someone, it's not like a firm we've hired to send out blanket stuff. Like, it really is us. But we really want to achieve that status of hiring someone to check our Twitter feed. So if you want to help with that, you can go to goingofftrack.com, our wonderful website. There's a fantastic donate button that if you want to throw us some dough to help us break even, we really appreciate it. I uh, thought you were going to say you can email us if you want to run our Twitter account. Uh, yeah, you, <laughs> Not- if, you, if you can direct message us on Twitter <laughs> to work our Twitter account. You can have our password and reply to everything. <laughs> <laughs> or you can donate money, either, either one. one. Either one. Whatever works. Uh, follow us all on Twitter. We all have handles that you can find out on the website. And what else? What do you got going on writing-wise, Jonah? Um, well, I'm doing a lot of stuff for Noisy right now. Man, I love Noisy. Noisy's cool. I'm not plugging it just because you write for it, but I love their editorial stuff. I just love the voice that Noisy has. Yeah, so that's cool. So I'm doing stuff for them. And then we have some new episodes of Sound Advice. My web series on Above Average are going to be coming out. I don't know exactly when, but when you're listening to this, very soon, if they're not already out, hopefully. Hilarious. They yeah. are ridiculously and we have some really fine. cool guests. So that stuff. And then United Nations record. Look for it. In the spring, summer area. Whenever spring may arise, which at this time might be October. Thanks, right? climate change. Yeah. So um, what about you, Stephen? Uh, let's see. If you need me, you can find me here, or you can just look around New Jersey to a SUV with twins in the back. That's probably where you'll see me just cruising around. Oh, that was you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why'd you yeah. cut me off? Because I, I don't like people. <laughs> And I especially don't like people in charge of what I consider artillery, which is what I think a car is, because you can kill someone. Hey, a tree fell, and no one heard it, except for the minivan that it crushed of my neighbors Woo! during really? that ice storm. I walked by it this morning, and I was like, oh, man! Is this a neighbor you don't like? No, no. I like uh, most of my... Ah, a, that's not true. <laughs> a couple. That's a bummer if it's someone you liked. If it's something you don't like, it's kind of awesome. It is nice that I have this feeling now as an adult where my first thought is, oh my God, I hope nobody got hurt. Whereas in my 20s, I've been like, dick. (laughs) 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 Sorry about your van, fuckhead. (laughs) But now I'm like, oh my God, I hope they're okay. Okay. Yeah, that's how I feel. I clearly haven't gotten to that point. So I was like, that's awesome if it's someone you don't like. (laughs) (laughs) Cool reaction. We're going to continue to work through this, Jonah. Yes, yes. I need lots of help. Subsequent episodes. All right, we'll hear you guys next week.